Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Yeah, I know scheduling's a little bit weird right now, and I again apologize for that. It's an adventure of a week in the Vespers household, but welcome one and all, wherever the hell day this is, Thursday. It's Thursday. It's Fantasy NBA Today. This is a Sports Ethos presentation. I am again... Dan Bespris. Yes, I said my last name. I didn't say my first name. At Dan Bespris on social media. Should I have gone by Dan Walter? That's my middle name. Yeah, probably. If I went all the way back to the beginning of time. But I don't have that luxury now. It's too late. The Bespris is out there. There's no going back on that now. Although I was briefly Dan Beebe. When I was handicapping over at pregame.com, those were unusual times. Unusual times. Darvin Ham may be on the hot seat out in Lakerland. And we had a bunch of guys yesterday that kind of solidified that they don't belong on fantasy rosters. And today's show is to go through all the games from a 12-game Wednesday and let you guys know who you can safely dump out onto the waiver wire. Because I know you're all looking for the next big thing, and you're going to want to know which player you can cut loose to do it. Luckily today, we got all kinds of names for that. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody that all the relevant links are in the show description. You can get my Twitter handle there. You can get the show uh, feeds there if you want to pass it along to anybody. The Discord link, all that good stuff. And of course... The uh, links for some of our lovely sponsors, Manscaped.com, ExpressVPN, to name a few. I would certainly be appreciative if you checked them out as well. But let's go ahead and dive straight on into the fun. Or fun-ish for some of these ball games, because this first one was not. Wizards, all I need you to do is keep it close. And for a few games they were able to do it, but not so much this one. Ah, well. Womp womp. It happens. Sometimes they're not going to keep it all that close. Uh, And everybody was terrible. Which at least makes that our fantasy analysis side somewhat simple. We were in the posture of streaming Denny Avdia lately because he'd been hot. And honestly, he actually wasn't that bad. I know he shot the ball terribly. Shot it horribly in this ballgame. But, you know, kind of who didn't. Who's my guess shot it okay? And that's still the case. Avdia's in the stream while warm unit. Ward. You know what? That's it. That's the stream while warm ward. <laughs> uh, I don't know that there's a W word that you could use to uh, signify that we're playing the player, at least not without getting kind of weird. So it's going to be the stream while warm ward. It's the particular ward where we stream the guys that are warm. Avdia has been one of those guys lately. I think you can probably continue that because, you know, game-wise, he was okay here. Just that, like, nobody got to play very much, and then his shot wasn't dropping. But anyway, we should move on to the Cleveland side because after a month of shooting 32% from the field, Max Struess finally woke up. Finally. That was a tough month, man. He fell from, like, the 65-70 range to the edge of the top 100. This better ball game pushed him back up to 90, so he jumped, like, 10 slots with one good ball game. 
And, you know, I don't know that he's going to necessarily have a few games in a row like this, but we also know that he's not a 32% shooter long-term. I think having at least one of Donovan Mitchell or Darius Garland around actually kind of helps Struess because he's more open. Playing the Wizards also helps everybody because everyone's always open. But sometimes you just need a slump buster. That's what the Wizards were in this ballgame. And let's hope that Max can build on that. He was never a drop because his minutes were still there. All the other stuff was still there. Steals, blocks, rate have been better this season. Rebounds, assists. He just wasn't hitting any shots. And then he did. And, you know, everything magically fixes itself. Indy beat Milwaukee again. Bucks kryptonite is Tyrese Halliburton. And here's one of the drops. Malik Beasley is one of the drops. I know that, like, he fluctuates up and down in three-point stuff, but that's all he's doing now. He had an interesting start of the year, if you recall, where he was getting other stuff, actually. It was weird. It was different. And, you know, I, I wanted to write it off, but at the same time, I had to be reasonable about it. Because I was like, all right, like we're seeing this with Max Struess, somebody in a new environment, getting to do different stuff than they're used to. It, it, it's gone now. Um, the rebounds are still sort of semi there, but the assists have trended back down where they always are, which is minimal. And the steals and blocks, which were actually kind of okay to start the season, those have gone back down to his career marks as well. And so now he's exclusively three-pointers. On, frankly... A three-point percentage that I don't know if it holds up all season anyway. He's at 47% from downtown. He's doing his job, what they need him to do, but he's not going above and beyond it. And so I think Beasley now you can effectively move on from. You call him a three-point streamer, but he doesn't need to be on your roster all the time. On the Indiana side, a couple of very quick notes on the Pacers and then one larger one. Aaron Neesmith only played 22 minutes in this ballgame, which, again, some of this stuff doesn't fully makes sense to me with the way Indy does things, but there were units that were playing well enough, and so Rick Carlisle kind of just let it roll. Neesmith, while he was on the floor, was a plus 18. He's part of the group that built up the lead. He went four for four. Anyway, he's a hold, is the short version. Obi Toppin might be playing his way into the stream while warm ward, but not as of yet. Jalen Smith's minutes are not secure enough. We know enough about Benedict Matherin not to buy into that nonsense. The player I wanted to talk about is Buddy Heald who transitioned to the bench four or five games ago, whatever it was. Pacers have won every ballgame since Neesmith got shifted into the starting five. Jalen Smith also, by the way, over uh, Obi Toppin. This new starting five is just working because Rick Carlisle is, for all his annoyances on the fantasy side, he's a good coach. He finds units that work together, and he's not you know, married to one particular lineup. Terrible for fantasy, Good for reality. It's annoying for us here from on the fantasy side. But anyway, now Buddy Heald is back into the doghouse. Uh, he got some pretty good minutes his first couple games coming off the bench, but lately it's been uh, much more sporadic. I think he was at like 28, then 20, 13 mixed in there. That ain't going to be enough. So I think you can probably punt on Buddy Heald. It doesn't seem like he's about to get dropped back into the starting lineup anytime soon because that starting lineup was losing, and this one is winning. They got their guy into the starting lineup. That's their hustle guy, their heart and hustle dude. That's Aaron Neesmith. Every team needs to get that guy into the starting lineup. The one that hits a shot and will run through a wall. Look at the teams in the NBA that have that kind of guy and how they deploy them. Alex Caruso 
perfect example of that kind of player. Bulls want him on the court anytime they can get him out there, provided he's not falling over dead on his face. Whatever. Let's keep going. Uh, Atlanta beat Oklahoma City. This was the sort of stereotypical letdown game. The Thunder had beat the Celtics and I'd hotly contested match the night before. And then they had to go on the road and play an Atlanta team that was very much uh, more keyed in on this one than the Thunder were. Shea was having a bad ball game and then <laughs> ended up with 33-13-8 because he just doesn't have bad ball games. Jalen Williams' five-steal performance as he continues to just slowly walk up the leaderboard. He's at number 64 in 9-cat now. Played in 30 games, which I think, is that all of them for the Thunder? Did he miss a single game yet? I don't know why I care that much. I think because we called him a buy low, and then I was like, why is this taking so long? Uh, he did miss a couple. He missed a couple. But regardless, he was a buy low when he was in the 90s. I mean, it was another easy one. Steals were always going to come around at some point. Sometimes it happens over one or two ball games. Sometimes it happens over three weeks. This is one of the instances where it happens over one ball game. Five steals one day. He jumps from like .9 to 1.1 on the year. That's how fast that can happen. Rare off day for Jed Holmgren. I don't think anybody is concerned because he's number 12 in 9-cat. Still. <laughs> Sick. Why am I talking about the Thunder? Nothing changes for them on the fantasy side. How about them Hawks? Jalen Johnson, 28-7-3 with two threes, four steals, made his free throws, shot 60% from the field. Man, what a year he's having. He's number 37 per game in 9-cat, only derailed by a stupid hand injury that sidelined him for a month and change. Otherwise, he's been, I guess it's got to be behind Derek White, probably the biggest winners in on the fantasy board, at least like the biggest jumpers. Because where was he going? Where was... Derek White was going like 80-90. He's number 15. Jalen Johnson was a last-round sleeper. B-150 guy who was at 37. I'd like to put other guys... I want to put Kawhi in that mix. We've talked about this before. Scotty Barnes, obviously. Chet Holmgren. James Harden, much as everybody hates to hear it. These guys are big winners. Tyrese Maxey down to number 22 now, friends. I love it. He's a guy that we were high on, but he's kind of coming back to earth a little. Yeah, I said this on Twitter yesterday. I'm bouncing back to the Hawks now because I keep getting derailed by the fact that I um, haven't been sleeping all that great because my kids are sending bodily fluids everywhere. Uh, Sadiq Bey had 10 points, 8 boards, 2 threes, a block, 3 out of 12 shooting, hit a couple of free throws. I'm frankly tired of playing Sadiq Bey. Which I know isn't really fair, because as fill-ins go, he's been fine. Uh, but over the last month, he's shooting 38%, so he's kind of hurting more than he's helping. If you can catch him on the right week, two-week, three-week stretch, he's been fine. You know, for the season, he's sitting just outside the top 100, which is playable in most formats. I just, I really want the Hawks to get healthy so that I can safely say, no more Barry. And right now, he's still teetering right on the brink of being a nine-cap play in all formats. Uh, two, three games will go in a row where he's good, and then two or three where he's not as good. He's not bad enough, or he's not inconsistent enough, I guess I should say, to be in the stream while warm ward. But man, I am ready to not have to deal with his up-and-down crap anymore. And as soon as DeAndre Hunter comes back, 
you know, wipe our hands of this nonsense. Brooklyn is a mess. They shot 39%. They have no offense right now. Is it that they need Ben Simmons back? I don't know. I don't think he's coming to the rescue anytime soon. Will there be a coaching change? I don't think a coach is going to fix this. But it does feel... Uh, Brooklyn and the Lakers right now are the two teams where it feels like something's about to pop. Whatever that might be. Brooklyn tried moving Cam Thomas to that sort of bench gunner role, and he is as cold as ice. By the way, he was willing to sacrifice by coming off the bench. Not that he had a choice. Um, almost all of the regulars on the Nets are in a buy-low posture right now. Mikael Bridges basically couldn't be any worse than he's been. Uh, Cam Johnson, less of a buy-low because he's somehow kind of surviving the ugly. Same with Nick Claxton, surviving the ugly somehow. You guys know I'm not particularly high on Spencer Dinwiddie's fantasy game, but technically if you know, if he fits your build, he's a little bit of a buy-low as well. Question is how long does it take for this team to sort of pop the cap on whatever it is that needs to change? I don't know. That I don't have the answer to. For Houston, they're down a few bodies, and uh, by and large, they've had trouble winning while down a few bodies, but here getting to play against a, a different team that's having even more trouble winning was good for what ails the Rockets. They've, what, they won a couple in a row now? What are these games? They beat the they beat the hapless Nets and then the worst team in the NBA in the Pistons. Um, obviously, you like what you're getting out of Shingun and, and Freddie Van Vliet right now because, you know, most of their teammates are hurt other than, I think, Jabari Smith Jr. Jalen Green is fine, but he, he's not hurt, but he's also not good. Um, they need Tari Eason. They need Dylan Brooks. I hate that this Eason knee thing keeps cropping up because he was really coming on, and with no Brooks around, like, the sky was the limit, but he can't stay on the damn floor. You're holding on Eason. His fantasy game is too damn good. Like, he absolutely positively must be on your team. If you're wondering what to do with Jay Sean Tate here in his fill-in role, I think the answer is if you wanted to go schedule play, that would be the, the heaviest I'd go there. Same story for Cam Whitmore, who put up a nice line in 16 and a half minutes, but, I mean, 16 and a half minutes. That's the story there. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Boo, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Pellies are on a little run right now, mostly since they got healthy. Uh, they're down Trey Murphy, 
But they've won four games in a row. They are improving on the road, which is a big deal, and where they won this one. Zion's been better. Still looks a little bit, um, let's call it stocky. But when he's engaged, it kind of doesn't matter. You just now have to hope that the stockiness doesn't deliver any sort of injury to him. Getting Larry Nance back was big for the Pels. They now have that sort of defensive unit they can go to. They have someone that can spell Jonas Valanciunas. If he's, like in this game, he had some foul issues. There are certain instances where they can deploy kind of different looks. This is a deep team. Now that they're mostly healthy, they can they can handle a lot of the competition, and they can do it without hitting a ton of three-pointers. Now, they hit 12 in this one because McCollum and Herb Jones each had four, but they're not one of the leading three-point shooting teams. But they can guard some people now that they're getting their guys back. As far as fantasy goes, Herb Jones is a play as long as Trey Murphy's out. When Trey's been in, Herb has been bad. Otherwise, everything is pretty much telegraphed on that club. So we move on to Minnesota, where basically everything is telegraphed as well. The only story for the Timberwolves right now is that they've hit a little bit of a funk. What have they lost? Two in a row? It's a mini funk. They had that big win over the Lakers before the year turned. Hard-fought, ugly game. Then they lost to the Knicks and now to the Pelicans. I mean, it's not not like they're playing bad teams or anything. Uh, Anthony Edwards has been on a pretty good run lately. It kind of feels like the Wolves go as Mike Conley goes. He's had two, I want to say pedestrian games, but certainly quieter ones, and then they lost. But Conley's been good. Conley's number 66 in 9-cat. Rudy Gobert is in one of his little mini-funks as well. He's dropped to number 80. He's been cruising along in the 60s for a while. I think he probably gets back up into that range. Just this one wasn't a very good matchup for him. Zion ate him alive. But there's nothing you're really changing with this Wolves team. You just, you know, you hope that they put up better offensive or fantasy numbers in the next one and move on. Looking for more possible drops, I'll give you one on Toronto. Gary Trent Jr., was kind of curious how he would fare. The odds were that it wasn't going to be very good because they traded OG Ananobi away and Precious Achua, and, you know, OG was getting starters minutes, but Achua wasn't playing very much. And they brought in two guys that are likely to see starters-level minutes in Emmanuel Quickly and R.J. Barrett, and they did. And so Gary Trent was the guy who loses out because he was picking up some of those extra minutes, and those extra minutes are now no longer extra. What was also nice in this ballgame is that we finally got a full starter's complement to minutes for Jakob Pertl, who's been, I mean, from a minute standpoint, he's been all over the damn map this year. Um, luckily, his fantasy game is good enough that, you know, he's at 26 in some odd minutes, and he's number 84 in 9-cat. He's got his free throw percent up over 50 now, so that's been a big part of it. Would love to see some more games where he approaches 30 or even clears it like this one, because then he's a top 50 kind of guy, but... You know, we'll get what we get. As we say to the kids, you get what you get, and you don't get upset. Dennis Schroeder has embraced his bench role. He continues to hang out just outside the top 100. He's at number 118 in 9-cat. That's fine. Again, we've talked about it before. Nowhere near that top 50 start. I also said this before. I was really worried when Schroeder started top 50 that I missed on that one by a billion I did not. I had him in the 130s. He's at 118 now. I still missed, but like, what the hell is actually the difference between 130 and 118? Like 10 points over an entire month? 
Probably. Whatever. Not really a miss, luckily. Feel better about that. As far as Emmanuel quickly goes, I mean, he was an obvious ad the minute this trade went down, and you got to see some of that here. He was good. He was one of their most effective players in this ballgame. And sky's the limit. Now, that's not true. Sky's not the limit because he doesn't get many defensive stats. His field goal percent is a negative. He turns the ball over a fair amount. He doesn't usually rebound or pass very much. You might see more assists. This Toronto team embraces ball movement in a way that the Knicks maybe sometimes don't, question mark? And that would certainly help. Um, I'd be pretty floored if Quickly could get inside the top 50 just because he has that sort of prototypical shooting guard game. But, man, if the usage is there, good things are going to happen. For Memphis, the uh, I don't want to say the, the John Morant shine has come off, but he gave them a nice little sort of kick in the tushy when he came back, and now they've come back to earth a tad. They're uh, still fine, obviously way better than they were without him, but they're still not really contender level. Man, do they miss Steven Adams, like a lot, a lot. Fantasy-wise, you got really three guys to worry about on this team. I said that on Twitter, and somebody called me out for the Marcus Smart uh, exclusion. But when I said it last week, I still wasn't sure that Smart was going to be a top 100 guy. And he really hasn't looked like it. He had, I think, what, five steals and a block in that first game coming back, and then things have leveled off, and he doesn't get to shoot very much, and he's not getting to pass all that much. And so I just, I, you know... I don't think Marcus Smart is going to end up being a playable fantasy guy. Where's he at on the season now? 141. That's going the wrong way, too. I think you hold a tiny bit longer because at least this is a guy where we've seen succeed in fantasy. But I bet you he's going to be a drop in the next week, week and a half also. I've given you plenty of drops already today, so I don't think you need to work all the way down to the Marcus Smart part of your board, but maybe. Dallas spanked the Blazers, who are still without DeAndre Ayton, but Anthony Simons came back and looked like he was still sort of catching his breath in this ballgame. You can basically throw this one out. Game was over super early. Uh, Scoot played 33 minutes because they want to just get him playing time anytime they can do it, and he wasn't... A pillar of inefficiency here, shooting 2-for-11 from the field, 2-for-4 at the free throw line with six turnovers. And this is why you don't draft rookies. This is why if you want to stash them, you do it with the expectation that they're better after the All-Star break. Time-honored tradition. Malcolm Brogdon, back to not being all that relevant because Simons and Sharp are in, as is Jeremy Grant. I guess I should make sure to include all three of those guys. When those three guys are in, Brogdon goes to the bench, and then he doesn't get to do all that much. I've got to think the Blazers are trying to move Brogdon before the trade deadline. There are a crap ton of teams that could use a competent, like a very competent backup guard. There are a lot of teams where he'd start. But, I mean, look at the contender list. Just go down the board. Who are some teams that could use a veteran like that? I'm sure he wouldn't hurt if, to, for the Thunder to have someone like that on their club. Nuggets to have a backup, because Nuggets are thin. They win a lot of ballgames because their starting five is ridiculous, but they're kind of thin. Clippers are a little thin. Kings have enough guards. Pels have enough guards. Mavs. I mean, Mavs could use some depth. Rockets could really use some depth. 
Suns could use some depth. Lakers could lose, use some depth. There's a lot of teams. Just we Even within the Western Conference that are looking at Brogdon and going, come on, come on. I'm looking at the um, the chat room, and Daniel Infante asks why I'm a manual quickly hater. If that's what you took away from that, that is absurd. Daniel, what what speech did you just listen to? What what did I just say that that's I mean, listen, I like I really appreciate you watching and I appreciate the comment too because it makes me think what the hell did I just say to make you think I'm a hater? Quickly is going to be a must roster all formats guy on Toronto. It does not make me a hater to say that he doesn't rebound and he doesn't pass. He might pass a little more in Toronto. His field goal percent is going to be low. And that is a hard nine-category stat set to get inside the top 50, is what I said. I don't think it makes me a hater to say I don't think he's going to be a top 50 guy. And if you're looking at how he was on the Knicks this year, pre-trade, he was outside the top 160 because of all those things, plus Thibodeau using him stupidly. He's a good basketball player, but he misses on a like four to five categories in nine cat, which caps his upside. That does not make me a hater. That makes me a pragmatist. I am a handicapper here on this show. Emmanuel quickly getting to do a lot of stuff, which is what's going to happen, means he needs to be on every roster. When I saw the news break, I was on vacation in Yosemite. I still got to the computer and said, make sure you add him immediately. But top 50 is a is a deep stretch. And I just want to make sure that you guys actually do the lifting here. Don't just be like, oh, Emmanuel Quickly is going to take 18 shots. That makes him an automatic top 25 kind of guy. That's just not how it works. Guys have to be able to do seven, six, seven categories. And he's going to be points, threes, free throw percent are going to be the three big ones. And if we get real lucky, he'll get you four assists instead of two and a half. But that's still a small positive. He doesn't rebound. He doesn't get steals and blocks. He doesn't shoot the field goal percent well. This is not a knock. This is why you then look and compare to other players on the board. If you don't want to do like the deep dive on projections and things like that, and you're like, okay, well, who's another guy who scores a bunch, gets some threes, hits some free throws, as kind of like the three big things, how high do they go? You're like, well, does that sound like Tyler Hero? It sounded like Tyler Hero like two years ago, but he's since added more rebounds and steals to his repertoire. So no longer. And Hero, by the way, who I think is like sort of a best case scenario for quickly, remove the rebounds, remove some steals. Hero's at 23 points, three and a half threes, 4.4 assists, 45% from the field, 88 at the free throw line. Let's say that it quickly gets to those numbers, but instead of 5.5 rebounds, it's more like 2.5 to 3, and instead of 1.4 steals, it's like 0.9. That brings him outside the top 50. So that's why I said what I said. It's not a hater thing. It's about understanding how numbers equate to fantasy value. But again, the short version is start him everywhere, the long version is, understand what his actual value is. What can that get you coming back? Things like that. Let's keep rolling along here. Um, Dallas. Derek Lively's hurt again, which is a huge bummer. Uh, because 
he has this he has really good fantasy game and he just can't stay on his feet. So listen, I'm a pragmatist, as I just said. I would love to tell you that you absolutely positively must hold on lively until the end of time. I wish that you could. Um, but I also understand if you can't at this point, because it, you know, without a clear timeline, this is a guy who's sitting near the top 100 with upside because his minutes have just kept trending up every time he can stay healthy and, and learn on the fly. But if you don't know if he's going to be back for a week, two weeks, three weeks, whatever it is, I get it. I get it. Try to hold if you can. I understand if you can't. Kyrie and Luka are going to do the bulk of the damage for this team now. Tim Hardaway was an easy drop the second that Kyrie showed up. But Grant Williams got hurt again in this ballgame. And so now that may open up room for, I don't know about Derek Jones Jr. Possibly, if Dante Exum comes back, he's sort of a possibility here. I, I personally don't think any of those guys maintains top 100 value with both Kyrie and Luka healthy. But if you wanted to hang on to any of them, it would be Exum. Because you know he's going to be wide open all the time. And that's sort of the way he was making his living over the last couple of weeks. I also think that you wouldn't end up feeling all that terrible if you moved on from all of the Mavs streamers and just thought, meh, like, what's the best case scenario for these guys? Still not all that great. Thing is, I've already given you like three or four guys that are probably droppable on today's show. So do you really need two more? There are like six drops coming out of yesterday's card. Chicago lost at New York, uh, not for lack of trying. DeMar DeRozan, good ball game. Alex Caruso, great ball game. Kobe White bounced back. Andre Drummond, please stop taking free throws, Andre. Can we please have a game where he doesn't take free throws? But, and it's a big but, it's a wide load. Zach Levine, likely back by the end of this week. So, things are about to change for the Chicago Bulls. What I would remind all of you, before you guys all call me a hater again, is that Kobe White was bad when Zach Levine was in. I did a breakdown of it on Twitter. Twitter? What's Twitter? <laughs> it's, it's the evil cousin. It actually might be the good cousin of Twitter right now. Used to be the evil cousin. Now it's the good one. So Twitter and Twitter. Uh, I did a breakdown on Twitter, and I think I mentioned it on a show like week, two weeks ago maybe. Kobe White's week-by-week -week performance this year has been extremely illuminating. It was something like 180, 150, 220. Uh, then I think he had a 40, top 40 week. And then, then it was back to like 200 again. And then Zach Levine got ruled out for a month. And it was like 25, 15, 40, 50. And then he cooled off. And it was outside the top 200 for the last week and a half. And then he had this good ball game. All that to say, with Levine out, Kobe White's been closer to like a top 60 play. And with Levine in, he was pushing the back end of the top 200. Patrick Williams went from an afterthought to near the edge of the top 100. And so I am genuinely concerned that those two guys fall off a cliff. You're not dropping Kobe White in advance of this news. That would be insanity. But prepare yourself for the possibility that it could get kind of ugly for him. Still... We, we know that Levine remains on the trade block, even if he is actually going to be coming back and playing for the Bulls again here in the next, we don't know, one to two ball games. They're still trying to move pieces because they remain eh, slightly better than they were to start the year, but overall pretty bad, 15 and 21. Um, 
you know, five and five their last ten, I guess. But they're the 11 seed. They're not even in the play-in right now. They were a half game up on the Hawks yesterday. Now it flip-flops. So they're still looking to move some stuff around. But Patrick Williams will be a drop when Levine comes back. Kobe White might be like a, a stash at that point. Head-to-head, maybe you still deploy him, but... We've seen that when the usage isn't there, there isn't enough of that other stuff because he's a points, threes, assists, free throw percent guy. And those things dry up fast when you go from 20 shots a game back down to like, you know, 12 or 13. Like it was, it was a substantial usage bump, one of the biggest. And I've taken a lot of heat over the last four weeks uh, about not being higher on Kobe White to start the year. I, I would change nothing of what I've done. The lesson learned there was that I should have, I don't know, like the Bulls seemed so hesitant to move any of their key guys. So the fact that within the first like three weeks of the year, it dropped that they were thinking about moving Zach Levine, that was way earlier than I expected. That was the mistake I made. I thought that it would be later on, December, January, February, when they were like, all right, fine, we'll actually consider blowing this thing up. But they did it in November. And then the shutdown and... You know, it seems like Zach Levine has actually been hurt because this would be a pretty long shutdown if he wasn't. And then also actually letting him possibly come back and play for the team. I guess we'll see. Anything can happen over the next 24, 48 hours. But anyway, get ready because it was bad for these other guys when Levine was playing before, Kobe and Patrick. For the Knicks, Josh Hart, I think we can pass. Dante DiVincenzo? Pretty good in this game again, but 25 minutes is not enough. That's the part you need to take away from this. Don't look at the fact that he had two good ball games in a row. You got to look at the fact that historically, he's needed more than 25 minutes to produce consistent fantasy value. So far this year, he's actually been on a better per minute clip. Mostly because he's hitting threes at a very strong rate. Two and a half threes in 21 minutes ball game. And he's at 1.1 steals in only 21 minutes a game. So, like, the if you could just extrapolate that line and say, okay, maybe he plays 25, 26 minutes, that gets him over three threes a game. It gets him to, like, 1.3, 1.4 steals. Would that be enough? Yeah, maybe. Um, but I feel like we know enough about DiVincenzo over the years to know kind of what he is and percentages are both going to be bad so he's going to have to do a lot of three and d to counterweight that i'm not a full believer yet if he becomes sort of the tibbs guy the tom thibodeau guy because he tends to have his guys and his minutes trend up to 27 28 i think i would change my tune i know we're not that far away from it so i'm a little bit hair splitty but 25 long term just isn't enough given what we know about his fantasy stat set. Just because he's been good for a few games here, I can't fully buy in. He's close, though. He's coin flippy right now. Again, just a minute or two more might get him over the hump. So, you know, stream away. When guys are that close, they're certainly at schedule stream level. But I do think we need a tiny bit more in terms of playing time to push him over that full, like, start everywhere kind of ledge. Clippers won again, although Phoenix was without Kevin Durant again, so that certainly played a role. Clippers shot 55%, Suns 53. There wasn't a whole lot of defense in this game. Uh, friends, Kawhi Leonard 
good at basketball. He's number seven per game in nine cat right now. Uh, James Harden is number 13. Paul George is number 14. Clippers are a frickin' fantasy goldmine this year. But not much to take away from this one. Zubats is at 121. That's just his landing place. He'll have some good ones, he'll have some bad ones, and nobody else is really worth paying attention to when they're healthy. For the Suns, I'm holding Grayson Allen until something forces me not to. He's been very good. Uh, someone all year has basically been out for this team, so that's been helpful. But it does seem like he has the fantasy game to exist around superstars because he hits threes, he gets steals, he does it all at a good clip, and then they'll give him a ton of minutes, so he'll just sort of backpedal into three or four rebounds and three or four assists kind of deal. Uh, so Grayson Allen is a hold for now, and uh, nice to see Bradley Beal ramping up. Good, good, we move along. Detroit, Utah. This was a wild one. Overtime game that featured over 300 points. Boyan Bogdanovich, huge game. Jalen Duran, big ball game. Cade, big ball game. The only story, by the way, you know, I don't take victory laps when guys do what I say they're going to do. I just sort of move on. But this is the fear with Jaden Ivey and why he's more of a points league kind of dude. Playing time not guaranteed. Production not guaranteed. Points league fine. Nine cat, no on Jaden Ivey. Uh, Livers and Burks. Those are the two names to look at on Detroit right now. Alec Burks is very much in the stream while warm ward at the moment. He is currently warm. So Monty Williams is giving him robust playing time. He doesn't do all that much besides score, hit threes, and have a decent field goal percent in general. Uh, but you can stream while warm. Livers is starting at power forward. Asar Thompson played 11 minutes. Detroit's trying stuff. He didn't do enough with his 37 minutes to warrant a pickup, but at least keep an eye on that for Detroit. But no moves to be made from it. This is more of a watch list kind of thing. And look, I'll admit, I've been too skeptical of Simona Fontecchio. Too skeptical. But I think I have every right to be pretty skeptical because on the season, he's number 194. But a lot of that was when he wasn't playing at all. So you kind of have to look more at like the last month since his playing time's gone up to more like 27 minutes per game. And he is right on the border of a 12-team, 9-cat, all-formats guy. 27 minutes a game, he's at 12 points, 4 boards, a steal, half a block, and 2.23 pointers with serviceable percentages. So when he gets 35 minutes and gets off to a hot start, then he manages to be inside the cut line. I think he's... I mean, listen, you want to know what I'm actually going to do myself? I'm fine with that. I mean, I'll put that out there. We're, I'm a fantasy analyst, so I got to sort of take a stand. He's probably not a guy I start in Roto because I don't trust that he's going to shoot 55% long-term or average two steals a game long-term. And that's what he's been over the last week because he's running hot right now. Head-to-head, -head, go right ahead. Easy decision. He's running warm. Uh, when a guy's on a hot streak like that, there's sort of no hot stretch or hot streak. I put the two words together. There's sort of no real downside to playing them on the head-to-head -head side. So roll with him there. I'm personally too nervous to use him against the games cap because I, like, I don't see these things lasting. And that's fine. If you have bigger stones than I do on Roto, have at it. But not my thing. I like to be much more safe, conservative with my Roto Games Cap deployment. 
Which brings us to the rest of this insane jazz roster. Keontae uh, George has been shelved while Utah's currently trying to win some ball games, so luxury stash at the very most. Kelly Olynyk had been doing quite a lot lately. Uh, he only got 20 minutes in this game. He's a stream while warm ward kind of guy. John Collins, his minutes has been have been uh, pretty loudly trending down since the start of the year. He's just a straight schedule play. Uh, Jordan Clarkson explodes like this for a couple games in a row about once every two to three weeks. You probably can't sell on Clarkson because I'm guessing no one in your Roto League wants him. Um, over the last week, even with these giant games mixed in, he's still outside the top 120. For the season, I don't... Is Clarkson even on the board? Yeah, 196 because he's a field goal percent full tank who doesn't hit that many three-pointers uh, and doesn't get defensive stats and turns the ball over a crap load. He's just not a nine-cat guy. But then he has these, you know, he had a triple-double in the game before this one, and then a 36-point mega whopper here, and basically, like, kind of won the game for Utah. You might be able to convince somebody in your league that he could be a top 109-cat guy. That you, it, it wouldn't be true, but you might be able to convince someone. Meanwhile, Walker Kessler, who is being uh, dramatically underrated this year because his minutes have been stupid is at number 66 in 9-cat, and they're not even letting him play. Nine points, eight boards, almost three blocks a game in 25 minutes a night. If that number get, and he was at 29 yesterday in this overtime, double, no, single overtime, the double overtime game was later. He played 29 minutes here and had six blocks. He's an absolute b Goliath on the interior, and we just need the minutes to be a little bit higher. I don't think you can buy low on Kessler anymore. That was earlier in the season. Uh, it's certainly been good enough lately. And then Colin Sexton, somehow still a hold. They've had this guy languishing, doing nothing for like a season and two months. Everybody got hurt. Finally, they're like, all right, you know what, Colin, go do whatever. And now everybody's coming back, and they're still letting him play. For the life of me, I cannot figure out what the hell Utah is going to do on a game-to-game -game basis. But right now... Sexton needs to remain on rosters. He's been uh, excellent over, what it is, about that two, two to three weeks since the whole team got hurt. Top 70. Can't move on now. Miami beat the Lakers 110-96 to without Jimmy Butler. Lakers shot 42% from the field. Had 24 turnovers. Not Anthony Davis's fault. Get that man some help right now. 29 points, 17 boards, 3 steals, 5 blocks, 6 assists, because teams are doubling him as the Lakers run the ball through AD sometimes now, and his passing's gotten better. 9 out of 10 at the free throw line. Jumbo size game. AD's actually put a little bit of space between himself and Nikola Jokic on the 9-cat board. Number 3 behind Shea and Joel Embiid. Ooh, that's a big ball game. Austin Reeves got a start. It took like half the team being hurt for Darvin Ham to finally let him start, and he was good. He's one of the only Lakers who had any bounce in his step. Uh, let's get to the let's do the Heat first because the Lakers, I think, are a deeper story than just the superficial box on this one. First of all, you're streaming Jaime Aquez Jr. when Jimmy Butler's out. That's a pretty easy one. Um, Duncan Robinson is borderline I'm not streaming him when he comes off the bench so I mean that was this ball game so no um I'm not streaming Nikola Jovic he had a better ball game here but some of that is just the fact that the Lakers are 
like they have just they're so disjointed right now. And then Kyle Lowry had a nice steals game because, you know, Lakers with 24 turnovers. Somebody's going to get a few of those. I haven't been starting Kyle Lowry lately. So for the Heat, I've been playing out of bio, Hero, obviously, and then Hakez. And then uh, Kevin Love has been kind of weirdly useful over the last, what is it? I mean, we're, we're multiple weeks into this Kevin Love being like kind of okay thing. Probably a better fit for head-to-head. Uh, because he's mostly points and boards, sometimes threes, sometimes free throw percent if he can get himself fouled. I don't know, he went two for six the foul line in this ballgame, which is extremely weird for him. Um, honestly, I, I don't think I have the, the stones here to use him in Roto, but he, Duncan Robinson, both those guys, even Lowry, you could probably use on the head-to-head side, but aren't really good enough for Roto. Akez uh, is good enough for all formats, at least while Butler's out. And there was a Jimmy Butler question in the chat room, and I was sort of waiting uh, to come back around on that. You guys are wondering what the future holds for Jimmy Butler. The weird thing for Butler right now um, it's not the injury, because he always misses a few games here and there. That's just kind of been the story for Butler. He misses 15 to 20 basketball games seemingly every year. The weird thing with Butler this year is that his steals are way down. Most of the other stuff is not all that far off. Field goal percent's a little bit lower as well. Um, I have every reason to believe that, much like with Jalen Williams, uh, some of that begins to come back. I don't know if he gets to that top... like. 10 to 15 range where he has been, I think, two or three of the last four seasons. Um, but I don't think he's going to be in the 45 range where he is now. Uh, the thing about Butler is, I mean, his draft position is so weird. He's someone that last year I targeted everywhere because he was going at like 35 in some spots. And I think he was a little earlier than that this season. And so it was slightly less safe, but still it felt relatively safe. I do think that Jimmy crawls himself back inside the second round on a per-game basis when he gets healthy. The steals, the field goal percent being sort of the big things right now that are uh, different year over year. Um, Adebayo doing more has been part of it. Kyle Lowry not being out for like the entire year. He'd have... A few more options. I know they lost Max Struess, but some of the other guys have kind of been able to step up. Those are things I'm not as as worried about. For Butler, the thing I'm looking at is steals. I'm looking at steals. I'm looking at field goal percent. One or both of those probably trends up, and I'd be pretty floored if he didn't get inside at least the third round, which would be you know near his ADP as the season goes. So no panic, really. Um, you know, probably not top 15, which is a shame. Um, because usually he can be a pretty easy second rounder. There's still a chance that he gets there. I don't want to take that off the board yet, um, but I don't know that it's necessarily as much of a shoe in as we figured, because a lot of kind of big-name players this year are not getting steals the way that we thought. Um, Butler going in the mid to late 20s, early 30s, felt like a guy where you're like, all right, well, worst-case scenario, he ends up like right around where he was. And uh, the steals and field goal percent are not there. So we need him to get his butt climbing up the board. And I still think, again, that he can get into that, like, 25 to 30 range, which would be right around his ADP. He wouldn't be a hit in that spot. I'd still be annoyed about it. 
but at least it wouldn't be sort of a, a, a small loss, which is where we're at right now. Um, let's see here. What else we got going on? Um, let's talk about the Lakers because, uh, there's something amiss with this team. First of all, LeBron had a down ball game, which, you know, it happens. He's been pretty unbelievable so far this year. Uh, he was in the first round. He falls back to number 16 with this bad ball game. It still feels to me like his steals is a number for LeBron that's going to come down. Felt like the efficiency was going to sort of peter out as he gets a little more tired as the season goes. But that's not the story in this ballgame. One down game for LeBron means nothing. The issue with this Lakers team is that they're being run poorly. A few things are at play. And I don't want to go too far down the Lakers rabbit hole, but we need to do a little bit of it to understand what might come next. First of all, Christian Wood is now, like, back in instead of Jackson Hayes, which is fine. You know, the Lakers have, they need offense, and Wood is vastly superior at that end of the floor to Hayes, who's the better defender, better box-out guy. But the Lakers are sort of in a pick-your-poison spot right now. And some of that has to do with uh, Rui Hachimura being out for a while, and now D'Angelo Russell's out for a little bit, and Cam Reddish is playing in every other game and Jared Vanderbilt is very clearly not 100%. All of these things matter. On top of that, Cam Reddish turning back into the pumpkin that we basically knew he was. He had come out of nowhere to be this high-energy steals guy that he'd never been at any point in his career, and not surprisingly, he ran out of gas trying to do that. And all the while, and we spent too much time on this the last few shows, but it, it bears repeating because there's a report this morning that the Lakers are... That the that Darvin Ham has lost the locker room, and I you can understand it because he's he, the, the way he talks during post game pressers is just like yeah you know we're never discouraged. Have some passion, man. I think he sees the writing on the wall. I don't know what the timeline's going to be on that, but I think he sees the writing on the wall. And he at least for some stretches yesterday was willing to give Max Christie a little more run. But, like, the thing that keeps jumping out to me is that, you know, Torian Prince was 0 for 6 shooting yesterday, and he played 29 minutes. There's absolutely no reason why what an ice-cold Torian Prince should play 29 minutes. I don't care how banged up the team is. Find something else. Find some other lineup. He was one of the biggest negatives on the team yesterday. Cam Reddish, he doesn't have it anymore. Those two guys don't need to be starting. I like Torian Prince when he's hot. He's a big three-point streamer. And he was a go, go, go the last like two or three weeks because he was warm. But the shine is off. You can drop him too. I liked him. Now you don't have to. Because this stuff comes and goes. If he gets hot again, we'll play him again. But they need somebody with some energy. Somebody with some grit. Some belief. I have no idea who that is on the current roster. I would have said Rui and, and he's out again. Uh, but there's a problem right now, because right now Anthony Davis is looks like about the only guy. Well, I'll give Austin Reeves. Max Christie, also. These are the three guys that, to me, look like they're playing extraordinarily hard every ball game. And LeBron is 39, so he can't. He's amazing. He's a cyborg. But he can't sprint back on defense every single time if you expect him to carry the damn team, which they've done, they've expected again for long stretches this year. Someone else out there has to be running. 
and there's way too many plays, and you see this, they're just like, they're dejected, they're down, they get off to another bad start, and it's the same old crap. Something's going to change on this Laker team. I don't know what it is, whether it's going to be a trade, a firing, or both. I just, I go through all of that, all those hoops to say, be ready. Because if the Lakers send off, say if they trade D'Angelo Russell and Torian Prince and Rui Achimura, whatever, and they bring back one guy like a Zach Levine, you know, that may open up stuff. Because then there may end up being like a fifth guy who gets all of the bulk minutes instead of where it is right now where there's like four guys that are all splitting minutes because they all kind of stink. I feel bad for Jared Vanderbilt. He's obviously not himself. He's moving slowly. Lakers are running different schemes this year that make no sense. I Like, it, they're all over the map then. That team needs a shakeup in a bad way. I think it's coming. When? Again, I don't know. But be ready. Same story as Brooklyn. And finally, Orlando-Sacramento double overtime fun in this ballgame. It was fun for some folks. Not for Franz Wagner, who got hurt five minutes into this thing, and not for Gary Harris, who got hurt 11 and a half minutes into this ballgame. Those guys were out. Uh, Wendell Carter Jr. is kind of a maybe. Golga Batadze played 28 minutes. Mo Wagner was the center who didn't get to play in this one. That center situation is a mess. Paolo Boncaro had 43 extraordinarily inefficient points in this ball game. He went on a crazy run where he scored like 18 straight. That was pretty awesome. Uh, but the eight turnovers and all the missed free throws are, I mean, that's why you like him in points leagues and not as much in nine cat. Is there a pickup? By the way, again, this is why you held on to Jalen Suggs because he's good. But is there a pickup with Wagner and Gary Harris going down? Are there multiple pickups with Wagner and Gary Harris going down? Because these are two starters. I think you consider adding whoever moves into the starting lineup because Paolo's going to do a ton and Suggs is going to do a decent amount, but there's going to need to be a third guy willing to go take some shots. Caleb Houston had 15 points and four steals, but he only took six shots. Chumo Kiki had 11 and seven with three threes. He only took five shots. Trevlin Queen played 38 minutes, took seven shots. Who is it going to be? Could... Markel Fultz resurface here and be that other guy? I doubt it. I think if you told me I had to choose from one of these dudes, I'd probably go Okiki because we know he has a great steal rate from when he actually got to play a couple years ago. And he gets some threes, he can get some rebounds. I'm not convinced that Caleb Houston can do enough besides hit three-pointers. It felt, I mean, you're not going to get four steals every game, so that you have to sort of chalk up to a little fluky. Barely in rebounds or assists. So you kind of look at the guy that can get you some of the other things, and that's Chuma Okiki. I don't know that he's going to be a starter in their next ball game, but it kind of feels like he almost has to be. And if we get the word on that, I think they play on an overflow day, though, so it probably doesn't end up helping you all that much. Uh, does Orlando play on Friday? Is that their next ball game? Yeah, they're in Denver. I don't know that you're going to be able to use a guy if you pick him up on Friday, but it feels like Okiki's probably that dude. And, uh, yeah. And then for the Kings, Malik Monk got called out by his coach in a previous ball game, and he responded. 37 points. He played 46 minutes off the bench. I feel like there was a stretch. I feel like he played almost like 25 straight minutes at one point in this game. Something crazy. Keegan Murray got lit. 28 points. Anytime he has a bad ball game, you just try to buy low because people are like, oh, no. Sabonis went 20-20 with a triple-double. That was a big ball game. These guys played crazy minutes. Chris Duarte only played 10 minutes as a starter. 10, excuse me, 10 and a half minutes as a starter. 
and this is why you didn't jump at him after one kind of like marginally decent ball game. We saw bad Darren Fox in a rare twist. He's been really, really good lately. Um, always going to be held back by the free throw percent. He's number 29 in nine cat. He's going to be better than that uh, in points leagues, blah, 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 just repeating things. But again, this is why you held Malik Monk after the bad ball game. He'll be fine. I feel I feel like I wanted to say more about Orlando, and then I didn't do it. It doesn't matter. Um, quickly here, a couple of really good... I, I like these questions in the chat room because you guys are getting more broad stroke with your stuff. Those are things that I can talk about on the program because they're not team-specific. Oh, Adrian Benjamins! AB, what's up, dude? Awesome. This is a blast from the past. So, uh, I don't know if you guys were hoop ball followers back in like 2017 but adrian actually filled in on this show that was in the summertime i think i only did three or four shows a week and then adrian and uh, neil roshlani filled in on fantasy nba today that was back when i used to take time off what an idiot i was then huh uh they were also the host of the box score breakdown a show that's been sitting quietly just waiting for sweet sweet adrian to take it back over again we miss you dude guy was awesome Hope you're still watching here at the end of the show so you can see your shout-out. That's not the thing I was talking about. Tony says, how high are you on Tari Eason in general? To quote the great Harold and Kumar, I'm not low. I like Tari Eason a lot. He has a really translatable fantasy game. He's number 89 on the season and only 21 and a half minutes per ball game. That's including all of the games where he wasn't getting very many minutes as he ramped up from injury. He's number 65 in 25 minutes a game because he's a great rebounder. He's a great steals guy. Um, it just it translates nicely. And if you could keep that damn knee healthy and get up to 27, 28 minutes, he does have you know top 65, top 60 potential. Um, top 100 feels like basically a guarantee the rest of the way. Again, provided he can stay healthy. Uh, what else we got here in sort of this broad stroke stuff? I'm not going over the trades, guys. You're giving me a trade. I'm not breaking that down. Um... Oh, this is more more thoughts on Kobe White. Alexander says uh, the reason he was bad with Zach Levine was because he was shooting terribly. Here's the thing, guys. Kobe White is not that great of a shooter. He's at 44% on the year right now. And that has him right around the edge of the top 100 in total, basically. I think Yahoo has him at 102, and Basketball Monster has him at 106 at 44%. You are right, Alexander, to say he was bad with Levine in because he wasn't shooting very well. But it's also really important to note, he's able to float his value with what we call popcorn stats in the industry. Points, boards, assists, and sometimes threes. These are the stats that accrue the fastest. They pop like popcorn. Blocks, steals, things like that, they come slower in smaller increments. You know, one steal per game is league average. 0.7 blocks per game, league average. League average in threes is like closer to two. For scoring, it's 15-16. For rebounds, it's six. For assists, it's three and whatever. Hope that part makes sense. If you guys can go back and do me the favor of looking at the game by game, the shooting was bad, but the number of shots was also way lower. 
Look at the number of shots. I'll try to pull this up on the fly here if I can do it. It's not that easy without putting together a very bad podcast. But if you look at the date range, basically the first month of the year, say October 24th to November 24th, first month of the year, and just look at the number of shots that Kobe White took in that stretch. 11.5, and he shot 41%. He was outside the top 180. Even if you adjusted that up to 44%, that does not make him a nine-cat startable guy. Because he still would have been sub-league average in points, rebounds, steals, blocks, field goal percent. The one thing where he ends up well above league average in threes and a little bit above in assists. He was at four assists per game. 32 minutes per ball game, still playing big minutes, but wasn't getting big shots. If you go to the next month, which is basically the Zach Levine out month, and again, I'm, I'm sort of uh, fudging the edges on this a little bit because I want to do it on the fly without messing up the show. Top 35 played 38 minutes per game with Levine out, shot 50% from the field on 16 shots per game. Five extra shots per ball game, and he went from sub-average shooting to above-average shooting. But where does 41 and 49 meet? 45, which is basically where he's at for the season right now because over the last two weeks, he's been bad shooting again, and it's dropped back down to 44. What is Kobe White the rest of the way? Is he the 16-shot-per-game guy? Which, again, 16 shots per game at 44%, he's still startable. He's not top 35, but he's still startable if he was getting 16 shots. 50%, obviously that comes down. The threes, the points, all that stuff comes down with it. Assists will also come down when Zach Levine comes back. Is Kobe White a top 100 guy when that team is fully healthy? I still don't know if we know. So yes, you're right. He shot the ball poorly during those first four weeks, five weeks, whatever. 41% is below where we expect him to land when all is said and done. But where's he been basically every season of his, not that long, but long enough NBA career so far? 39, 42, 43, 44, 44. 43, 44 is who he is. So if his shot attempts go back down to 12 instead of 16, does that keep him inside the top 100 if he's shooting 44%? I don't think so. I think that's 130-150 range. Can he shoot 46-47%? Then he's top 100? Sure. Do the shots stay at like 14 instead of dropping all the way down to 11 and some odd? Maybe. Those are ways that he could stay. But again, outside the top 180 to start the year, and only a little bit of that, 20 to 30 slots worth, was field goal percent. A lot of it was just way lower usage. But Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Alex Caruso, all these guys are still on the trade block. So they could still be gone in a week, a day, whatever. And that's where I am on that one. All right, we're over an hour. Uh, whoops, sorry, threw the question back up there. We're over an hour now, and I forgot to tell you guys anything about our sponsors. It's also basically time to wrap up the podcast, so let's do it all at once. First of all, at Dan Vespers over on Twitter. Mwah! Kisses to all of you guys who follow me over there. Discord link is in the show description. 
Uh, hoping to get a buy low show going this afternoon. We'll see. Time is fleeting. Time is fleeting when your children are depositing goop all over your home. It's been a rough week here at the Bespris Residence. I will take your pity. I accept all of it. Lay it upon me. Um, what else did I want to tell you guys about? I know I'm forgetting something, and I'm going to be pissed about it. Uh, please do like, rate, and subscribe. And then, of course, check out our buddies at manscaped.com. Promo over there. The code is ethos20 for 20% off and free shipping on your order. They only get the short promo today because it's the end of the show, and a lot of you guys have probably uh, moved on anyway. Point Blank Mish says, let's talk in Discord, boys and girls. Don't leave out. We got, we got everybody coming in through here. Whatever you are, come to our Discord. We'll talk fantasy basketball over there as well. Again, hoping to get a buy low shot today. I said that yesterday and it didn't happen. Maybe today. I'm Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. I almost said a hoop ball. I was thinking about Adrian Benjamins there for a minute. Miss you, buddy. See the rest of you guys later. So long for now. <laughs>